direct from the web, it's Billy Masters Live. And now, please welcome your host, Billy Masters. Oh my God, another show. Another opening, another show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Billy Masters Live. I am your host, Billy Masters. Oh, thank you. And today is Tuesday, December 8th. Is it the 8th? It is the 8th. A day after the day that will live in infamy. These days, every day is infamous. Uh, welcome to the show. As you can see from my surroundings, I am out of the studio and back to the beach house in Fort Lauderdale in the belly of the beast, COVID speaking. But I am healthy and I am alive. And I am live because it's Billy Masters Live. And if we're here, we're live. At least that's what they say. Um, so I want to explain something that happened last week because a lot of you have been emailing me. So last week we announced that we would start our Divas of December series. That Divas of December series will be the death of me. We announced that we'd get off to a great start. We would start with Cheryl Lee Ralph and then we'd have the diva of Christmas herself, Miss Darlene Love. Cheryl Lee Ralph went off without a hitch. Darlene Love, there was a problem. Here's the thing. I'm friends with 90% of the people who are on this show. So what happens is I don't go through publicists and I don't go through management. If I want somebody on the show, I call them up and I ask them to be on the show. Oh, you know, my mic is showing, which of course is not a problem. I just don't like it there to show off my, you know, my ample bosom. Anyway, so um, I just texted Darlene Love and I asked her, like at the beginning of November, do you want to be on the show first week of December? I knew that she had a pay-per-view concert on Saturday, last this past Saturday. So she said, I'd love to. Why don't we do it on Thursday? We had a date on the calendar. We were set. We were ready to go. Yeah, I, we texted each other. Happy Thanksgiving. That was it. So the night before the show, I always get in touch with the guests and I give them all the particulars about the show, where they should go, uh, what the URL is, reminding them to be prompt, blah, blah, blah. I get an email first from Darlene's publicist who says, I don't have this on the calendar. I Did I miss something? Because she's booked. Then Darlene calls me, very apologetic and a little frantic. She never told the publicist that she had booked to be on my show. And because she had the pay-per-view concert, she had a million interviews back to back to back. She couldn't be on Billy Masters Live. She didn't know to even tell me until the night before because she had forgotten. Now, I was a little bit upset. I must admit this, because, you know, I am only human. Look at me. I'm skin and bones. And um, But she was doing a New York television station when my show was going to start. And then right after that, she was doing Variety.com. How can I get upset about that? I'm just Billy Masters. I mean, we're on a wing and a prayer here. So anyway, I didn't know what to do. Now, the first thing I thought of doing was just swapping out guests, getting somebody else. Well, when you have Darlene Love scheduled, 
you know, you can't just put anybody in that slot. Now, there was somebody who I had scheduled as a backup because, you know, I always have a backup. And the more I thought of it, the more I felt a little icky about it because I just thought, I don't think this is a good substitute for Darlene Love. You know, if you're expecting Darlene Love, you want Darlene Love. And then it hit me. We did a full show with Darlene Love in May. I think it was the first week of May. You know, in the first couple months of this show. And we had surprised her with Mark Shaman and Paul Schaefer from the David Letterman show. And we really talked about 90% of the things that you would want me to talk to her about. I always have no problem coming up with new things for people. But I thought to myself, you know, if we can't have Darlene Love here live, let's rerun the Darlene Love show. Because maybe you didn't see it when it first aired. And as that old ad slogan went, when they tried to get people to tune into summer repeats, if you didn't see it, it's new to you. So as it turns out, the replay that I put of Darlene Love last Thursday was seen by like five times more people than saw the first show. So it's a win-win. She may still be on this show at some point because I adore Darlene Love. Um, But anyway, that's why she wasn't here last week. That's just so that you know. Um, And so today's guest is somebody who... Actually, before I get to today's guest, let me just say on Thursday, we have two people, particularly if you live in Southern California, you are familiar with. First is drag diva extraordinaire Quesadilla. And Quesadilla is a member of Chico's Angels. She also sells Tupperware and cooks. Oh, she's fabulous. And she's been on our show before. So Quesadilla will be here. She's going to bake some Christmas cookies. Oh, my God, I'm going to get to eat. And she's going to show us the latest in Tupperware, which, of course, we all need something that burps. And then if you watch the ABC affiliate in Southern California, which is ABC seven, then you probably know Carl Schmidt. He is so handsome. He's so talented. He's got this Australian accent. It's because he's Australian. Um, He's also HIV positive and open about it. And he has started a campaign to fight the stigma of being HIV positive. And he's going to be here. Maybe also eating some cookies. And we can find out if he's in the market for a boyfriend. That would also be good. So anyway, that's going to be on Thursday. But today's guest, you know, this will be the third show we've had Sam Harris on. I had Sam Harris, I want to say, like the first two or three weeks of this show. I had him with Cheryl Lee Ralph. And we are all just kind of figuring this out. Cheryl Lee was talking to us from her bed. Sam was on his patio with spotty internet connection. I don't even know if I had um, green screen yet. Then the second time we had him on, we had him with Billy Gilman, which, of course, was a fabulous show. Go back and watch that if you can. Um, That was a great show, and I had great green screen. And, of course, technically everything went well. Well, this time I have Sam Harris on because he has this fabulous movie that is coming out this week, which is Ham, a musical memoir. Now, you might have read his book, Ham, Slices of a Life. And I had a little picture of the pig's ass. 
Well, then what happened was Sam was doing these live readings around the country and he was telling uh, stories from the book. And then somebody said, you know, this should be a musical. And he did it as a musical. He did it in New York and L.A. and I think a few other places. He'll tell us. And then they filmed it. And I remember when they filmed it, I was not in town, but Sam had contacted me and he had invited me. Then he said he would send it to me and. I didn't get a chance to see it until last night when I was flying down here to get COVID in Florida, which, of course, is what one does. And I thought to myself, you know, if this plane goes down in a fiery inferno, the last thing I will have seen is Sam Harris. And, you know, if you're going to go down, you don't want anyone going down on you other than Sam Harris. You could take that to the bank. So um, I want to show a clip from the show. You know, Sam Harris is known for modulations, which is when, like, uh, singers who have big voices towards the end, they change keys to a higher key to hit higher notes. Sam Harris has never met a modulation he didn't like. Um, this song has two, I think. But I decided because at the end, it doesn't really end because it goes into a scene. So instead, I'm going to show a clip from earlier in the song. But just this song was so beautiful. And I believe Sam wrote it. He'll tell us. And um, take a look at the clip. And then we will talk to Sam Harris. Okay, hit it. I will stand up. I will be Tied me to the ground I've only got a broken wing And it won't keep me down I love him. I could listen to Sam Harris morning, noon, and night. And happily, it's noon Pacific time because here is Sam Harris. Billy, 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 Billy. Hi. We have been on it. Oh, look, he, if you start with that camera angle again, the oh, that because I get a little OCD and I want it to be even. There, there, there. Then I have to move. I'm but just then you're not kitchen. centered. We're in my right. kitchen. And we could be you- open at any moment by okay. wanting a snack or Danny coming in to fetch about something. But right All now, right. it's you and me. It's just us. How are you, honey? I'm really good. Yeah, you oh, seem I'm- like in a really good place. I am because I, you know, everything that we're all going through. Yeah. Oh, I lost you. I there lost we you. are. Everything we are. we're going through is so uh, baffling and difficult and confusing. And then there are, uh, you know, there's always a blessing from some sort of obstacle. And I think we're finding a lot of us. I hope most of us are finding those little those little blessings about uh-huh. being home, about finding uh, things in our lives and in our families and with our friends. For instance, this, Billy, I mean, this would not have happened. And so in the midst of all this tumult, there are things that we've opened our eyes to. And I am trying to be really aware of that, especially during this, this season. And, um, you know, we put up our decorations so fast right away 
it it looks like it looks like freaking tavern on the green (laughs) it's crazy because we need some freaking joy so that's how i am plus i've got the movie out i've got a new book out I'm working on this TV thing. I am actually busy at home in addition to taking care of the world, of my world, not the world. And so um, <laughs> I'm all right. I'm okay. You know, it's funny. Um, you and I were chatting Sunday night. We were texting back and forth. Yeah. And, you know, we were just sort of confirming the show, which then led into just chit-chat, which then led into a discussion about Ema Sumac. <laughs> and I thought, and I, you know, I thought to myself, when I was a little gay boy in a Boston suburb watching Wait, stop, him. Stop. Yeah. yeah. You're, 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 you're gay. Shh. I have to a little gay boy. Yeah, well, it's funny. A little gay boy in a Boston suburb wondering if you were gay. Well, hello. Hello. Anyway, go on. Um, and, uh, you know, but then again, when somebody is on Star Search singing songs in the style of Edie Gourmet, you kind of guess. Uh, <laughs> what was the Edie Gourmet song okay. you sang? I didn't sing that on Star Search. I sang that on a Star Search reunion, and it was What Did I Have? And That's then, right. by the way, and yeah. I had, you're talking about modulations. I modulated yeah. every eight bars. I know and, you did. And then when I was working on uh, Minnelli on Minnelli with Liza Minnelli, um, I was like, I have this arrangement, and I think you should use it. And so we worked it out. And so then she took that. And so it's, uh, it's been well trod upon. So it's the Sam Harris arrangement, not the Edie Gourmet arrangement. There you go. Yes. Okay. But anyway, as I was, you know, this little gay boy. So what year was Star Search? 83 and 84. Okay. So I would have been like 15, I guess. And 50. 15. God, I'm sorry. Okay. And I, but as I was watching that and I thought to myself, I wonder someday, did I think that I would be sitting, chatting with Sam Harris on a Sunday night about Ema Sumac? And the the answer is yes. Yes. Yes, of course I did. So I'm curious, when you were 15, 16, did you think your life would be this? Yes. Because I really did. Yeah. I'll tell you, Billy Masters. I knew from the time I was quite young that I was freaking talented. I knew it, and I knew it. Uh, I didn't completely. I'll tell you a funny story in a second. Not a funny story, but I knew, and it was also because it was my means of expression. It was who I was. It was what I wanted in this rural town in Oklahoma. But I definitely knew, and uh, there's this. I'll, I'll be brief because I want to talk about the movie and all that, but. Um, when I was 15, um, my father drove me to Dallas from Oklahoma to audition um, for Six Flags, okay? Mm-hmm. And I was 15, and so it was this huge ballroom with hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, the dancers had their legs up on the walls, and people were <laughs> But the auditions were actually in the room. And there was a table, you know, of the directors and producers and the whomever and whatever. And the news, the local news was covering this because there were so oh. many people. So it was very busy and chatty, and people weren't listening. You know, there's this poor 
schlub, you know, up there singing in front of all these people, judging them, noise, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so unnerving. I was 15. I think I had a bronchitis or something. I was terrified. And I decided I needed to get their attention. So I took my sheet she music up to the, the pianist and I whispered, start here. I'm going to sing this note. And then we start here. And so we started the arrangement and I went like, whatever. The, nah! And I went into the song and everybody stopped their business. They're warming up. They're twittering. They're talking. They're chattering. And all eyes went to me. And I sang the song and the news crews rushed to the front and it was this whole thing. And my father said, I always thought that you were it, but I didn't know until we got out of our little town. Wow. And it was a moment for him because it sort of affirmed something that I knew. Uh, anyway, uh, yes, I did know. I always knew. You know, there are times in the movie and uh, the movie being, let's uh, show the because I've got the banner here. Here it is. Sam, a musical memoir, which caused... Ham, Ham, darling. Ham, sorry. Sam is the book. No, Ham is the book. Sam was the show at the Coronet Theater. Yes. See, I've seen too many of your shows. I only changed the first letter of all my shows. Oh, I can't wait for Tam. (laughs) Tammy Faye Baker story. But, um, but, um... In the in the movie, there's a lot of the, you explore a lot of relationships, and the relationship with your father is very important. To, Can we stop for a second, Billy? Yeah, yeah. What? We need to tell them which yeah. you that this was a live show. But I did New York and then L.A. and then we, did you say that we filmed? I it did. I did oh, that at the beginning. Okay. That's okay. That well, was you know he wrote a I, well. You know you you weren't on camera yet. That's why. Um, <laughs> That it started as a book, then he toured with yeah. it, and the original tour was actually a different kind of show. Yeah. yeah. And then it became this musical memoir, which right. played New York and L.A., and this was filmed at the Pasadena Playhouse. Yeah. I want to say in July two years ago. Is that true? It was in yeah. July. Because I didn't see, I wasn't at the taping because I'm usually gone in the summer. And I asked you, it must have been hot there. It was literally the two days that we shot were the hottest days in the history of America. It was <laughs> so horrible. And the air conditioning at the Passing the Playhouse was not functioning properly. Oh, God. And you know what? I always have them, when I'm doing a show, I make the theater like 50 degrees because right. comedy works better in cold. Ask and David Letterman. Like, oh, yeah. my God. And me, I'm a schwitzer anyway. I'm a, I'm like, I. so I had built in several places within the show to actually, you know, pat down. Oh, yeah. There's a place where you're leaned over with the black towel and oh you God. actually towel off your head, your hair. My, I'm dripping already. Yeah. I know. Um, but, oh, and, and, you know, before we go further, let me also say this. I, I am a firm believer that um, a, a singer or anybody in the spotlight is only as good as their collaborators. And you have the best collaborator I in do. Todd, in Todd Schroeder. Todd Schroeder and I have worked together for more than, uh, like, uh, almost 30 years. Really? Yeah. And I was just a small child. At the time, <laughs> like a father figure to me. Anyway, um, 
We have collaborated. We've written songs together. He's musically directed every. He day. wrote. You two wrote uh, "Broken we Wing." Wrote, we wrote "Broken Wing," which uh, I just played. Several, several of the songs. And he's he's brilliant, and we understand each other. We we call ourselves musical soulmates because we understand each other so well that it's sometimes it's like I'm playing and he's singing, and it's but in creative. Oh, he's a true collaborator. He is a yes. And he's also become a really understand structure and direction, which I will say, and he will say, is because he's worked with me so long, he understands the theatrical arc. And mm -hmm. now he's taken that and he's directing his own things and stuff. But um, I learned it from someone and I... You know. Hello, Sam, you're back. Hi, honey. Darling, I'm going to say it to the public and to you. <laughs> this stream, the stream yard thing... Every interview I've had on a StreamYard is a disaster. <laughs> you need to find Zoom never fails. It never fails. Well, the one we did with Billy Gilman, we didn't have any problems, I don't think. I think we – I don't remember. I'm just the first saying. one I just remember we did, you, me, and Cheryl Lee. Yeah, oh, by I, the way, Cheryl says hello. She's very jealous I'm here with you alone. <laughs> She's probably still in her bed. She probably um, is. Uh, last week was Diva Simply Singing. Sam has been a Diva Simply Singing. I have, although Many it wasn't times. simple. It wasn't simple. <laughs> None of those Divas are. So going back to Divas, um, I showed the clip again, and um, let's tell people where they can see Ham, a musical memoir. It's released by Lemley Theatres Online, correct? It is, and it's also going to be released on Broadway HD at the beginning of January. Oh, and then it will go wider after that. But, um, you know, Billy, when you told me when we were backstage before the show that you were on the plane crying mm -hmm. and laughing, it, 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 uh, it stirred my heart so much because, as you know, this show is so up and down. It's a lot of comedy, and then we kind of kick you in the gut and it's so transparent and so uh, raw. And that's why the show was, it was really, I have to say when I watch it, which I haven't done in a while, but mm -hmm. it's exhausting for me to watch because oh, yeah. it requires, you know, the physical stamina of like an NFL player <laughs> and the vocal stamina and the emotional stamina. Because, you know, it's one thing when you're playing a character outside of yourself mm -hmm. and you Use your own life to inform that character. But when right. you're really ter telling your own stories and, and reliving it, characters in your life and reliving it. And, you know, there's a suicide attempt when I'm 16. Yeah. And there's all these things that are up and down and sideways and funny and these songs. And I'm just so glad that it's filmed. And as you said to me, which I really appreciated, that it, how beautifully it's filmed. It's not like well, what I love about it is I am used to so many things lately that have these fast cuts and they got to try to keep people engaged because we all have ADD. And there are beautiful dissolves from a side angle to a, a front view. There are nice zooms. I mean, it, it, there's nothing jarring about it. And also, I, I don't know who was your Foley operator or do, did all your effects. They are so in sync with you. They are yeah. beautiful. Again, it looks and sounds like a million bucks. It really does. Billy, it was very important to me to have a, we were talking about Todd, mm -hmm. the ultimate collaborator, and then Billy Porter, who 
uh, I developed the show with me and Todd. I didn't know. Yeah. And in New York, and then he directed the first production and he really brought it from the page to the stage. He was the one who said, this is a story in your book, go home and write the scene. Hence the 12 characters, go Mm -hmm. home, write the scene between you. I don't want to hear about your son. I want to see you have a dialogue with your son who was eight years old. Don't tell it, show it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so that was, uh, but but then also the director of the film, Andy Pachogo, I, I, we, we, when we discussed it, he came to rehearsals, he set up the shots because remember we did this live in front of audiences. Then we had a pickup day for like, I was going to ask yeah. We had a pickup day so they could be like up in my face, which, you know, the film gives you a more intimate uh, perspective than watching the whole thing. But Andy and I talked about it and how important it was to me that this did that this felt like the that the shots that were set up, that the that the flow, that the rhythm of it felt like a film and not like an archival live show. It was right. vital to me. And you know, I saw that in Hamilton, which they basically shot, you know, even though it feels like it's way. live, they basically shot it most impersonal uh, without an audience. And it, it makes a big difference because it does actually, if, if you're going to film it, then give us something that you can't see in the theater. Don't mm-hmm. just shoot a wide shot of the show. Give us something you cannot see live. And well, I you bring us in. There is such, because it's such an honest, unvarnished show, which is so funny because Sam Harris shows can be very varnished. They can be very glitzy. They can be very really? over the top. <laughs> Are you from the footwear to the hair itself? Um, and this is very strict. Are you with someone else? All of my shows are intimate, all of them have crying and laugh, they do, but they're also but they're also heightened. You know, your your arrangements, you are a heightened person, and this is really a raw person. There have always been raw moments in all of your shows. Yeah. And the other thing is, is what I love about this, and I, I, I urge people who have followed Sam and say, oh, I know this, I know this. I have seen, I don't know how many of your one-man shows, certainly four to five structured ones, and yeah. these are all new stories. These yeah. are all. St- I mean, the themes are very similar, but the but the details, the uh, the guidance counselor, the um, I mean the and I sat there and said, "Oh my God!" Literally try out juxtaposed with "I'm the greatest star." How perfect! Once you get to the lyric and like, oh, duh, who thought of that? Right. Well, I mean, just great. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm probably the only child in the history of everything who at eight years old was actually didn't make the little league baseball team. How can you tell a year, a, an eight year old, you could be water boy What an asshole, yeah. what an asshole. And so, and then my father was so disappointed in me, it seemed. And I was like, but this is, don't you understand, you know, to myself, don't you understand? And then it was don't write on my parade. It's like, don't, don't. But also the line, my turn it back, sir. And I'm like, oh, this is all so good. Exactly. But, you know, I never thought of that. Well, you know, I think that, as you know, as you said, there were original songs in this. Um, but the ones that we chose that were 
familiar songs were very carefully chosen. And, you know, uh, and then there's that Star Search montage. Oh, of, which the, the snippets song. of week after week, those were great. And then that's, that is uh, narrated by another person. I, I, I mean, I had another interview a day or two ago that somebody was saying, how did you choose that character? His name is Jerry. And he was my mentor and my teacher and my writer. And Jerry my- Black was fabulous. Jerry Black, genius, and taught me about authenticity. Well, why did you have his character tell what was going on about you? And I said, for the same reasons that you're telling me that my movie is fabulous, I can't say it myself. So I had Jerry. <laughs> so I had Jerry tell the story of that rise and that change, because coming out of his mouth in this sort of vaudevillian section became a way to tell it and still be entertaining. When I was switching back and forth to me, to him, to me, to him, um, I had the and I have to one throw one thing out that's really vital to this is there is a brilliant producer you probably know her Billy her name is Susie Deeds and oh she, yeah of course. So much theater. She's been nominated for Tony's for six different shows on Broadway. She is somebody who puts art before everything because the theater, as you know, is a business in which you may or may not make money at all. And she was in this from the beginning. When she saw me really? do readings, when she saw me do readings of the book, she said, Do you want to develop this as a musical? I'm like, uh, yeah. And she financed it. She pushed it. She arranged for it. She was there every step of the way. And it's sort of the true uh, definition of an angel. And really? not only financially, but someone who is in it because she said, this needs to be seen. This message is not just your story. This message, the specifics may be yours, but it's applicable to everyone. Anyone who has ever felt outside, been a misfit, had a dream, which is everybody, right, Billy? Right, and, and also there's the whole narrative of looking for the validation from your father, from the world, from everybody, and everybody has been in that position. And I, it's something Nia Vardalis had told me once when she we were talking about my Big Fat Greek Wedding, which started as a one-person show. And one mm-hmm. producer had tried to get her to de-Greek it, and sort of make it a universal show. And what she said, she said what they didn't understand, the more specific it is, the more universal it is. And that that's so true. You that know, and I think that's the same thing with you. You didn't have to make it universal. Your story is everybody's story. We've all been there. Exactly. Exactly. You don't have to be a show business person or a young gay kid or any of that stuff because hopefully it's relatable. And it's interesting because when people would bring their kids, their young people to it, not six, but, you know, like 12, 13, (laughs) 14. And I saw them relate to it and understand it and get it Mm -hmm. in terms of themselves. That was really something for me. Oh, because. You know, because I'm I'm in the in the film in the show, I'm 15 and 16 years old with these issues, with these a suicide attempt, with these things, and and I and I think you know this about me, Billy, because I'm of the theater. Even when I do a a concert, but particularly, of course, in a show like this, the balance of comedy and tragedy. And comedy is tragedy with a kick in the pants, right? Um, is really vital. So 
it was my goal in creating this that it never became maudlin that we right. are with some dark subjects but it's always followed by something that's going to make you laugh it's always and then you make it then you want then you have have the laugh which is followed by which makes an audience for me when i'm an audience member available and accessible and then you hit them with whatever the drama is the truth so, that with the truth yeah and and i i think we've accomplished that and as you said with collaboration you are surrounded by collaborators who are all on the same page. And it seems to me, because I've seen a lot of your shows, they all have enhanced your vision. Oh, my God. Not not just a little. Ken Sawyer, who directed the L.A. production and the production uh-huh. that was ultimately filmed, is a brilliant, brilliant man. And I hope he wouldn't mind me saying this, but he is so undervalued. This is a man that could be directing show after show on Broadway. He's really? innovative. He's imaginative. He takes chances. He demands authenticity. And he is truly a genius, like a genius. And the reason I contacted him is because I saw um, several of his pieces that were done at the Remberg at the LGBT center. And I'm like, who is this guy? And I didn't even know him. And I went up to him and I said, will you direct this show? He's like, uh-huh. what? Will you direct this show? And he came on and everything we had done in New York and everything that Billy had helped us get to, he just brought up a level, not to mention the production, of course. The production of Oh, and the set and the and the uh the projections, everything is so and again, it's so tasteful. And I, you know, I am not one who uses the word tasteful. More is more. I like a little more. But this is when the stars fade in mm. at, in the last scene. It's so beautiful when you are effortlessly trans, uh, transported to this nursery and you don't even realize it and it just happens naturally. And there is there is a wonderful ease about it, which frankly, I don't think of ease with Sam Harris because you're, you're really working so hard and maybe because I know you so well. I am always aware of how hard you work. There's such an ease about this. And maybe it's also a maturity that you've accepted and settled into your story. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Over the Rainbow has been a song that I have been associated with for 30 plus years. And then when we do the Star Search segment, I sing most of that. And then there's a laugh at the end of that. And then, but at the end of the show, I sing it small and quiet and without doing any spoilers to my son. You just sing it. I just sing it. And it's about the whole theme of the show is like, what is enough? And like, that is enough. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, and that the show ends on a small place, not on Mm -hmm. a big place. Um, But I think that's what you're talking about. I have been given the courage by Todd, by Ken, by Billy, by Susie to really, really investigate and really find the truth and let it be enough. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's also the message of the show and the message you pass on to your child is yeah. that you are enough, which, you know, at least... I, as a young performer, 
that was not the message to me. Whatever you are, you need more because that's how you're going to succeed. That's how you're going to stand out from the crowd. And I think that's valid in a certain way right. as well. But but they can, it's not healthy. <laughs> it's not healthy because all of your uh, emotional well-being is reliant on outside sources. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are many performers, and I know many of them, very, very famous, very amazing talents who never invested in anything personal because they were so hell-bent driven on their career. And when it comes down to it, it is about your friends, and it is about your family, and it is about it not being about you, you know? It's also it about your mental health. What's that? It's also about your mental health. Totally. And if you don't have those other external things, how healthy are you? Well, not only that, but show business by its nature is an up and down. I don't care who you are. I don't care how freaking famous you are. It is like this all the time. So if you, your emotional well-being is dependent on validation, then you are lost. Yeah, in you're the you are lost. There has to be something else. And we all know people, celebrities, people who surround themselves with yes people because they are Trump who mm-hmm. surrounds themselves with yes people because it's what they want to hear. But right. the truth is we need somebody to ground us. We need somebody to cut the shit. We need somebody that we can help and be of service of. And I mean, ha- having a kid, it's for me, it's, it's the ultimate because you know what? God damn it, Billy. It was about me for so many years and so long. And um, it's, it's, it's made a major shift, which the show shows because I fucking, I do give it out. I mean, I am a showman ultimately. Yeah. Right. But when it comes down to it, it's like at this point in my life, it's what I do when I'm writing a book. That's all I do when I'm putting on a show. That's all I do when I'm in the studio. That's all I do when I'm doing a play. That's all. That's who I am. But it's become now what I do and not just who I am. Before Mm -hmm. I could find Jesus, Billy, when I was really young, when I was a teenager and had moved to Los Angeles, I would drive around like grocery store parking lots and sing out my window to see if something went like, oh, that's, you're great. I mean, and we know people like that still who've grown up and they're still doing that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. We're not naming names. <laughs> um, you know, I, you touch on it in the show, but you don't really talk about like the bottom. Did you have a bottom? Did you because you say from the gutter to whatever, but were you was there a bottom for you? Well, this is pre pre Cooper, pre Sun. Um, I uh recognized I knew that, and this is in my first book in Ham, but it wasn't a show, is my alcoholism. Right. And I think that was a bottom in that, you know, it sort of really, really takes, kicks you in the back of the knees and you fall. Mm-hmm. And you have to sort of reassess and find out who you are, who you really are, and what you want to be. And not only is it a disease that is genetic and is a disease, but it's also you know, when you become reliant on something to give you a sort of respite and fictitious version of yourself, mm-hmm. then when you come out of that and you really face those demons, if it doesn't change you, then you haven't done it right. Right. You know what I mean? <clears throat> you know, um, 
Uh, there were things that I was watching. Uh, uh, you know, anytime I see you, I always feel like I learned something either about myself or about you. And I think that's a, a good thing for any, particularly solo shows, is that it should be rev revelatory about the subject and also about yourself. You should get something out of it personally. Oh. And one of the things that that really struck me, and I guess it's that universality, is that you can sort of be pursuing your goals, but you cannot let them consume you. And mm -hmm. that you cannot let them define you. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. You know, it's compartmentalizing. And I think it seems like in a certain time of your life, all that was going on was your career. So that's all you focused on. Absolutely. I was driven from a really young age. Like, and I was lucky too, Billy, because I recognized what I loved when I was like three. I yeah, recognized that. Pardon me? And how many people can say that? Well, that's the thing. I have a 12-year-old son who's experimenting. Is he like this? Is he like that? We try a team. We try a sport. We try a whatever. And he's searching. And that's normal. And sometimes Danny says to me, you cannot apply yourself to everybody else. Okay. Right. I have a really funny quick story. I don't know how much time we have. I have to tell you go. go. Okay. So um, my friend Susie Dietz, who produced him, <clears throat> was had produced – a new version of Diary of Anne Frank. And it was at the, at the uh, Tolerance Museum, right? Mm -hmm. And we went early because they had an Anne Frank exhibit and I took Danny and Cooper through it. And, you know, I'm very uh, moved and tragically Jewish. And so I, we're going through this and I'm showing all this. And then we go see the play. And we're sitting there and at the very, the play was stunning and a complete re-envisioning of this. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, the, the characters come out and they're holding these candles and talking about the day they died at which concentration camp. I am, it's one of those cries that you're trying not to make noise, right? You're trying not to make noise. Meanwhile, I'm hearing noises all around me. I'm sobbing. And my son turns to me. He's 10 probably at the time. He turns to me and said, Dad, why are you, why are you crying? And I turned to him and I said, because it's the saddest fucking story in the entire world. <laughs> and I'm like, why isn't my 10-year-old son getting this? What, why, what cold stone of a heart does he have? He's and a 10-year-old boy. Exactly. And we walked out and Danny was like, you cannot apply yourself. I said, when I was 10, I would read a book and sit in the bathtub and cry for hours and hours. He said, you cannot apply yourself. You also you attempted suicide a few years later. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't apply yourself to normal people. You right. cannot apply yourself to normal people. Um, anyway, that's, that's, that's the difference. And so I'm forever trying to find things in common with my son and we've found many, many things, but they're not emotional. <laughs> Although, you know, the, the way the show ends in that scene and the final wrap up message is emotional. It's very emotional. Now, maybe emotional. it's something when he gets older, he will look back on with emotion 
But you yeah. are able to do that now. And I think the generational difference is so striking because you've got it first with you and your father. Right. Then it sort of then it sort of shifts. And I don't want to give it away, but mm. where the role shifts. Yeah. And it shifts because of your son, really. Yeah. And, yep. um, you know, I think that a lot of, I, I don't want to just say gay people because a lot of people don't have children, but I think right. that having another, a child or having a younger generation that you mentor or that you have a niece or nephew, whatever, right. is right. vital to you realizing your place in the world. Absolutely. And what you want sometimes by what we are trying to, give to someone else is what we need to hear ourselves. And Cooper makes me be my best person. He makes, really? he makes me be better than I would be otherwise. And also, and I don't want to spoil it either, but in that last scene, which is between me and Cooper mm-hmm. and me and my father, um, gee, I don't know how to say this without spoiling it, but it's that he is going through his version of the same thing and me being able to tell him the words that I heard from the person who saved me. And so we do pass it on. And yet you can't protect him from it. He's going to have to go through what he goes through. Yes, but I can say there is nothing wrong with you. Yeah, and you either hear that or not. That's true. You know, know, I kind of look back to when you did Pippin and how Pippin ends sort of the same way is that Uh Pippin escapes this, but then all of a sudden the kid comes and you say, "Uh uh-oh, it's happening all over again. And you can tell him, but he has to go on his journey. Exactly. But you hope that those things, even though they don't seem to have sunk in, actually Mm -hmm. You know, this is this is interesting because with my new book, which is fiction, but it's you know it's not about me. <clears throat> Much of me is in it, um, and it's a. And that would be this book, the substance of all things. Yes, which is really doing great, and I'm so proud of it. Young adult I, novel. I got a I got a, 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 a an email from someone who I don't. I know well, but not terribly well. She's somebody that I met in unusual circumstances. And she wrote to me and said that a friend of hers was going through a divorce and had was lamenting because she wished she had done the divorce 10 years ago while she was still young. And this friend of mine sent me a little photograph of a quote from Substance of All Things that says, in, I, I rather than choosing to be angry in the time lost, I chose to be happy in the time that was. And the yeah. fact that she had sent that to her, that she had read the book, remembered that, mm. found it in the book, sent it to her friend. And I thought, oh my God, that little tiny thing is why artists do what they do. It's what you want. It's for you to create something that affects someone else that then they pass to someone else and that person passes it to someone else. I mean, this is out of my, my purview. This is out of my world. I don't know. And you the- got it from someone else as well. They got it from someone. And you know, was- I have a, uh, a family member who had gone through therapy, who had had, you know, uh, uh, a difficult childhood in the fact that she was perfect and she was expected to always be perfect. And so mm-hmm. as a young adult, what was difficult and went into therapy and told me, well, I realized that my life has been 
sort of hampered by these expectations that everybody put on me. And I blame my mother. I blame my father. And I said, great. What are you going to do with that? Because recognizing it is great, but you've got to take that next step of like, and, you know, Jennifer always will go. And this is also in the substance of all things in which, and it's several times in which is you circumstances can inform you or define you. Yeah. They either inform you and what do you do with it, as you said, Mm -hmm. and you change it. And then you have a different perspective on humanity and the human condition. And then you become a richer person or it defines you. Some tragedy defines you. This is who I am. It was their fault. This is what it is. No, 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 and no. I can't get past it. That's life. And I, or that's just who I am. That's the cards right. that were dealt. And I think that something about the movie Ham and the show is that you cannot wish away any parts of you if you are like who you are. If you were a good person now, you can't say, I wish that thing wouldn't have happened. I am tormented by that thing. Yes, you could. Yes, tragedies happen. Heartbreak happens. But if you take out those moments, then you wouldn't be where you are now. So you you can not only on a small, and I'm not talking, there are horrible tragedies. There's sexual abuse and cancer and horrible things that happen. And it's not like, oh, I'm glad that happened. That may be a better person. Right. At the same time, when you say, I acquired those circumstances, what do I do with them? And it actually can make you a better Well, because again, I think it shifts your focus moving forward because there's nothing you can do to step back. Although I will say, I remember an Oprah show where she taught years and years and years ago about rewriting your past and that if there was something in your past that was holding you back and I had written a letter to an ex Mm -hmm. um, just sort of, you know, I had no contact with them, but I always felt badly of something I did when it ended. And I wrote him this letter and I said, next time we're in the same city, let's meet. We sat down and he said to me, shockingly, he said, I have no recollection of what you are talking about. And I've been holding on like I did this horrible thing. He didn't remember. And he said to me, but that day I remember doing this to you. I didn't remember it either. And we both walked out of there with this burden off of us and no bad feelings of each other just because we spoke. And now I think of him and it's such a positive, wonderful thing that I'm like, it was that easy. All but you that, have to do is that, talk. That Billy, that Billy is because you took the step to do that, that you yeah. had to release yourself from that. And it's like when in, in uh, 12 step programs, there is a step in which you go and apologize and uh, you're not looking for forgiveness. You're looking to release. And right. when I went through that with a number of people and they did the same thing, like, I don't remember that you did that. I don't, and I'm like, you're you're kidding me. I've been holding on to this for all these years, and it meant nothing to you, because it is right. It is because we're the star of our life, but we're not the star of theirs. But by the same token, the same is true for acts of goodness, because how many teachers or the neighbor or somebody that said something to that person, that kid, or whatever that changed their life, 
Mm-hmm. That, like for instance, this this psychology teacher in the play, in the in the in the in the movie, he literally saves my life. Yeah. Literally saves my life. And when the book came out, I tracked him down. I hadn't spoken to him in a hundred years. Tracked him down and sent him the book, and then asked him to come when I was doing a reading of it in a in Tulsa, which was near where he lived. Uh-huh. And I said, "You saved my life." He said, "You would have been fine." You would have been fine. You had the drive. Maybe you would have. Maybe you wouldn't. Who knows? And I exactly. But I said he did not understand the gravity of the words that he said to me. That for me changed my life. So we have the same capacity, don't we? Yeah. We have the same capacity to put something out there that is does have an effect and does make change. And as an artist, I'm lucky because I get to put it out in a larger thing whether it's through a book or a play or a TV show, whatever it is, if I create it, then I get the opportunity to do that. Um, but we all get that opportunity. We all get that opportunity. In our own way, sure. Absolutely. Well, I started by saying, you know, I could be a 15-year-old boy who doesn't really know if he's gay or not and see Sam Harris on TV and say, oh, I like him. I identify with him. I don't know why, but there's right. something there. And you fast forward, you know, 40 years later and we're sitting here. Exactly. And exactly. also, I think that that you are just you being you gave scores of people permission to be themselves, whether they were gay, whether they were talented. And, you know, being talented as a kid is no picnic. I can say this. I know you could say it because you stand out. But I'll tell you, when you're in kindergarten and they're bringing you to every classroom because, oh, Billy can play the piano and the sixth graders are like, oh, Jesus. You know, that's that's fun. It's fun, but it's not so much fun, too. No, but it is it is great to um, find yourself because there's a difference between being different and you can be outside because you're different but then when you find something for yourself you there's a different and special and being different because you're special is different so for those those of us who did find our thing at a young Mm -hmm. age no longer and on many levels was i just the sort of weird outcast Right. But then they also, at a certain age, recognized, oh, my God, he's really talented. He's really gifted, which made me special. And which your, when your father recognized it when you went to Dallas, it sort of then makes brings them in on it. Do you know what I mean? Because now they're seeing it through others' eyes. There was a girl in second grade. Her name was Jennifer. And she was... Heavy. She was overweight. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Hold. Hold. Okay, I'm holding. We are in an hour. He may have something better to do. No, he says no. I have had people who've said no to me, but they really have better things to do. Sometimes you just get them because they're there. Friend and I were talking about this earlier. I'm sorry. That's okay, sweetie. I thought I have been expecting this for a week and I had to sign for it. Anyway, it's okay, sign. Go. There was a girl who was in our second class and she was heavy. She was overweight, which, you know, was horrible. 
second graders are horrible. And so one day our teacher, Mrs. Mall, said, today we're going to discuss how the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. <clears throat> and she said, Jennifer, can you come to the chalkboard and draw the stages? And she had bought these colored chalks. And for the next hour, which is about 700 years in second the grade kids. time, she drew the caterpillar, the cocoon, the leaf, the butterfly. And she was a, Mrs. Mall knew that she was a brilliant artist. Oh. She knew that she had the gift to write, do something way beyond her years. And we watched this process. And at the end, we realized she could do something that we couldn't do. And this teacher knew that. And I never looked at her. We never. And I looked at the teacher and I remember, oh, I know what she's doing. Jennifer is the freaking butterfly. See? And but she, you got that as a kid. I wonder yeah. if everyone else in the class got you know, it. But I do know that consciously or subconsciously that it affected that she was something special. She mm -hmm. may have these things. And I, I do know that. And maybe I, maybe I put this on them and they didn't. But it was like. You know, she was no longer the, the different because she was different. She was different because she was special. And that is a beautiful thing. You know, you have at the, at the very end of the film, you uh, over the credits, you have great footage and photos from your past. I'm going to try to show them so that we can talk about them. And okay. let's see if I can do this. So I'm going to play it and I'm going to unmute your mic. So look at this and we'll okay. see. And you tell me what we're looking at. Okay. Okay, what am I looking at? Two years old, dancing. I'm always dancing. That's three years old. A lot of dancing. dancing and I fall. And God damn it, I get right back up. Okay, yeah. that's me playing the guitar. That's me playing the piano. These shot, these. Uh, that's me in Gypsy as a, oh. as a newsboy. That's You're me. In that's the dark at the top of the stairs. That's me in my sad attempt to play baseball. That's cool. Jerry Blatt. Jerry Black. Jerry, who was my mentor, everything, greatest teacher. That's Scott, my first love, Scott Pierce. Oh, that's Scott. Okay. There's Scott again. That's Rochelle, who brought you to the Black Church. The Black Church. That's Mr. McDowell, who is my psychology teacher. That's my father, who was a band director at the high school. That's my mother from the 60s. <laughs> that's my little brother. Whose life you saved and, and who saved you. Who's a brilliant musician. That's me and Danny. Oh, you and Danny. And that's me and Danny last, whatever, two years ago. There's Cooper as a baby born. And there's Cooper at about three in our bathroom. That's me in, in South Pacific. In South in Pacific with the makeup. Oh. My dad with us. That's me and my brother. I used to make him dress up and perform sketches. There's Star Search. Oh, I loved it. There's Ed. Ed. That's me and some, oh, it's a TV show. I don't remember where it was. That's the ultimate picture of me in fatherhood. There's me with the book. There's me. This is actually a, a tech, a sound thing. That's my son and my mom. That's from Hair. There's oh, Allie Porter right there next to me. And Danny, yep. And there's the three of us, Danny, Cooper, and me. This is rehearsing for Pippin. Oh, yeah. really? And Krista, Yeah. That's just me in concert. Shut the fuck up. That's the producer. That's the producers. That's in concert. Um, that's in the 80s, me getting out of a limousine. That's me and my dad. Oh, God. Who died last year. That's me oh. in concert. 
that is rehearsing something for a show. Oh, I was rehearsing for a show called Different Hats. That's my son, of course. That's the three of us. That's us in like Puerto Vallarta or something. This is another TV special with me and Todd playing in some gorgeous theater. Um, there we are. With that's our wedding. Wedding was me there at the house, right? Yep. That's my parents with Cooper. That's me and Todd, my brilliant Todd. That's my father teaching Cooper to fish. That's at Christmas. That's my. <laughs> yeah. Could you discuss that, please? My son. That's something that you put in your mouth. We got it at the mall and you breathe it out. It's like smoke. My son is so freaking funny. My son is so dry, funny, funny, funny. Not like, uh-huh. isn't that cute? Funny, funny. All right. Can make me laugh. And you know, when he was born, I wish for two things. Health, three things. Health and funny and an enormous penis. Well, there and, you go. And no, but he is so freaking funny. Oh, my God. Because I feel like if you're funny, you can do anything. It's been oh, yeah. a savior. When did you realize you were funny? Pretty young. I don't think it really surfaced because I was a singer uh, for so long. Did you have the self-deprecating thing from the beginning? Were you able to laugh at yourself or at situations? That was Mary Blatt when I was really. That was Jerry Blatt who taught me to make fun of myself. And it was such an open, you know, it's one of my, it's my favorite sport because you know, like I said, uh, comedy is tragedy with a twist, with a kick in the pants. And we have to laugh at ourselves, right? And so it's, I love doing it because it's so funny too, because whatever I'm going through, Danny has said to me, if I want to know what's really going on in your life, I'll come see one of your shows. <laughs> I am very private. I am not somebody yeah. who tells everything that I think and feel. I'm, as opposed to this and you and me talking and chatting, which is intimate and easy. I'm very quiet and I'm more. I have never, I should tell people we've known each other for at least 15 years, but doing the shows, we've had deeper conversations than we've ever had with the exception of that night at divas that you and I hung out together, roaming around and just talking. Cause there's usually a lot of people around and you know, you're out in public and it's just being fun. But this is, yeah. this is intimate. Well, and, and also, uh, even within groups of friends and things, I'm not somebody who just is forthright about telling everything that's going on or what I'm feeling emotionally. But I do it through my work. And then also, it's so funny because after Ham, the book came out, and I would you know meet some stranger or something, and they would say, oh, my God, the, the time that you did such and such. And I'm like, in my head, how do you know that? (laughs) That private story about me in rehab, like, what are you talking about? And then I remember I wrote it in a book. There's a book (laughs) out there. Exactly. Was there anything that you regretted putting in the book? Now regret. No, I don't think so. Is there anything you regret not putting in the book? No, it was what it was. I mean, there yeah. were stories that didn't make it. And there were stories that, a couple of stories that caused a little uh, surus in my life. Um, one in particular. But 
there was nothing wrong with the story. And I think that even in that story, you talk about self-deprecation, even in the stories that uh, are really personal and they might involve like a known person, a celebrity, they're so lovingly spirited and they always are a reflection on me. They're not really about the person. They're about right. me. And so, no, no. I don't regret. Was there a high point that you look at professionally that you say, if I had one moment, that was the moment? Because you've had so many. You really have. Gee, man. I don't know how to do that because whatever I'm doing, I'll, I'll, I can give you, they're always firsts, I think. Yeah. Like the first time I played Carnegie Hall and how amazing and overwhelming that was. The first time I walked on a, performing on a Broadway stage. Mm -hmm. uh, the first time I drove onto a studio lot to do a, a TV show. Uh, they're always those firsts. They're not so much about the result of like when I won this or when I got this review or the, it's not that it's about the experience of like, wow, I get to play in the sandbox. Right. I get to play. And you in want the to do it again. So you're looking for the next time. Yeah. I, and I'm not looking for the rewards as much as, I mean, they're nice. Let's who's kidding who it's better to yeah. be in the nominated. It's better to get, sell a million books than 300. Like we all, yes, I'm not going to say it's better to get a good review than a bad review. So I'm not going to bullshit about that. But for me, it's the, I'll, I'm going to put it this way. Let's say the book, mm -hmm. the new book, which has had like insane Kanahara, Toy Toy, insane reviews from major publishing uh, uh, articles and, and uh, publications. But you know what the greatest day was? Yeah. Was the day I held it in my hand. Wow. The day I held the book in my hand. The other stuff was great and it helps me and it pays my bills. <laughs> but the tangible thing, walking on stage for the first time in a Broadway show, mm -hmm. that's the sense of, oh my God, I'm here. Here's the deal, Billy. I am a fan. Ultimately, yeah. oh, I know you are. Fan. I am a fan of talent. And when I say I get to walk the boards on a, on, at the Ethel Barrymore, at the Eugene O'Neill or the whatever it is, or the St. James or what, it's because, oh my God, I'm actually a part of the club now. Mm -hmm. Some, look who's, look who's been in my dressing room. Look at the people who shared this dressing room for me. You know what I'm saying? The first time I heard a, my, one of my songs on the radio, it's like, oh, my God, I'm in the club. And I still pinch myself all the time. I can tell you this, and this is going to sound corny. I have never walked into any stage door of a proper theater that I haven't gone, wow. Yeah. Now, I could be pissed off. I could be in a bad mood. I could have been doing eight shows a week for so long and I'm exhausted and I, whatever, but there's still that moment of like, <sighs> right. And that is special. So those are my highlights. It's those first and that remembering I get to be here. Makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Chi Chi LaRue just said, God, he's cute. No. <laughs> well, what but do you think about Sam? You know, and it's funny because you make a joke. I'm freaking years old. I'm not cute, but you're, I'll. No, you're cute. You have a, you make a joke at the top of the show in the movie where you're backstage and you're about to go on stage and you say to Todd, "God, I'm so old and so fat." And Todd says, 
you're not that old. <laughs> and so, <laughs> the, and you know, our relationship. Well, but I mean, it also brings up, you know, it, it you, you know, you were not just talented. You you were also the whole package. You were young. You were energetic. You were adorable, and you still have all of those qualities. You're older. And you may be bigger or not bigger or whatever, but you're still all of those things. Well, I'm old school, as you know. Yes, I'm I do. Old school. You give out, you go out there, you rehearse your ass off. I could live in a rehearsal hall. It's my favorite in the entire world. I don't really want to go to the show. I just want to rehearse and fail and try things and experiment. But I am old school and I have never, I will say this about myself. I have never phoned in a single performance of my life. I have never faked it. I've had bad shows. I've had bad performances. I've had things where I'm like, ah, I wasn't connected. But I have never, ever taken it for granted. And I am old school. I'm old school showman entertainer. And I go out and I flip my wrist and I say, here I am. Take it or leave it. <laughs> and I don't know how to do it any other way. No, and it's funny because I've seen you in small venues. I've seen you in huge venues. And you give regardless of the size of the venue. The show, you know, Elizabeth Ashley once told me, I knew she was sick before a show and I was worried about going to see her. And she was unbelievable. And I went backstage and she's, you know, sick and like, oh, darling, I hope you enjoyed the show. And I said, well, I was worried. I knew you were sick. There's a matinee day. Right. She looked up at me and said, I do not have an A and a B performance. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the real showbiz people, the people that you and I revere. 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 And that doesn't mean you don't get sick. I mean, oh, my God, I am the worst. I have so many injuries from show business. I've had really? a hip replacement, two knee surgeries, a rotator cuff surgery, zillions of shin splints. And most of them are because I didn't take care of the injury because I didn't want to miss. You kept going, right? You kept going. That's stupid. I, I used to mad at people and I'd be like, why are you missing? You have a cold. Step it up. You know, suck it up. Get on stage. There's people out there who have never seen you, that have never seen this show. And as I've gotten older, I realized what a bullshit that is. But do you still do it? I still do it. I still do it. But when I'm doing my own shows, of course I do it. But if I was doing a, a, whatever, a long run show now, I missed shows during Joseph. I missed shows during and I learned also, it's like, because if you don't take care of yourself, you do have surgery. If you don't take care of yourself and your voice, if you're sick, then you're going to blow it. And you're so, going to be out a lot longer. Out a lot longer. But there was something in me that was about work ethic and what I perceived it to be, which is like, no matter what, you know, your mother dies and you go on stage. Um, interestingly enough, my father did die last year and I had a show the next day. And did you do it? I did the show. I did not fly home until after the show. And uh, I knew that's what he would have wanted me to do. And I couldn't cancel it because it was my show. I wasn't, there was no understudy. So I did the show and strangely, I thought, oh my God, this is going to be so hard because I'm going to think of him in every song. Somehow it's going to be relatable and in a new meaning. I had the crappiest show. Really? I, I think I was protecting myself so I wouldn't, I didn't want the audience to worry about me, right? I right. didn't want 
them to be like, what's wrong with him? So I think I guarded myself too much. And at the very end of the show, I, I told them, and then I sang mm-hmm. something for him. Lucy was Lucy Arnaz was there and Larry, and they came back after and she was like, I'm so sorry. I said, that was the shittiest show. <laughs> that was just so, and she said, are you kidding me? She said, honey, you know, we're, we've been doing this a long time and you can't not do it. The technique is there. The connection is there. It may not be to what you thought it was, but all that was informing everything. Don't be ridiculous. You know, but we're also our worst critics. Yeah. I mean, you know, you will look back on something and you're going to see the thing that nobody else would see. Oh my God. Of course. I never listened to my records. Really? At Christmas, when we're decorating the house, I'll be like, Alexa, Play Sam Harris Christmas songs. And, <laughs> and speaking of which, oh, on Amazon Music. Oh. Okay, stop. Alexa, stop. <laughs> you know, we should tell people that your CDs have been remastered and are available, make great holiday gifts. They do. And, the Christmas, and where can they get them all? Christmas records, Billy. There's the one that I recorded in studio called On This Night. And then there's a Sam Harris Live Christmas, which you in particular would love. There's a lot of humor and a lot of fun. And um, tis the season. Um, you have never disappointed me, ever. And I, I said it, I, I've said it so many times. There was a column I wrote like 15 years ago. And I said, if I were going to write a personal ad, I'd be looking for somebody who has this, 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 this. And then I realized I should just say I'm looking for Sam Harris. Because you have all kind. Here's the deal. You would really regret that decision. I probably would. (laughs) But I bet we would laugh a lot. We would laugh our asses off all the time. Um, I adore you. No, so let's tell people where they can see the movie. Well, please, I hope you can put up something or whatever. It's Lemily, which I can't even spell. L-A- yeah, I know you L a e m e l l e. You know the theater chain, and now they've gone virtual because that's the way of the world. So it's ha- it's there. It's just started December third, and it goes I think till January third. And you go on and you rent it like any like any place. And it's getting a lot of attention because they've moved to virtual. Um, you know, Warner Brothers has moved to HBO. It's like, it's what's happening. And then I think January 3rd or around there, it's going on Broadway HD. And if you're not a subscriber and you love the theater, you should be on anyway. But you can also rent it there. Um, and then after that, it'll have a wider release. But um, and just watch it. Do it. I'm so proud of it. Billy, I'm so glad that having seen the show several times that you were moved in a new way uh, when you were. Well, I should say that's what you and I were talking about Sunday night is that (laughs) Sam texts me. Oh, can we just tell people though, before we wrap little things, what was the name of your backup band, your backup singers, please? They were uh, surprised to go Sam Harris and (laughs) surprised to go. I did not know that. That made me laugh. <laughs> Secondly, um, a friend of mine told me he saw you do a one-man show at the Coast Playhouse in 89. Was it's hard copy? It's called And was it an all-girl band? Like, no, no, no. The band was up in the rafters. Um, I had three people also in the show with me, all of whom were brilliant. 
And but I played like ten different characters in that too. And the set was the setting was that I was uh, I had an all night newsstand like the one up on uh, whatever what in Hollywood. <clears throat> yeah. And I the news guy was there and he had the business for a long time and he was this New Yorker and and it was the denizens of the newsstand. It was oh. the kid who comes along, this troubled teenager with his boombox. It was the divorcee. And I played this woman who was this divorcee. And, you know, uh, all these different characters and how they revealed themselves through what they picked up. And they and it was all original songs. And oh, there was wow. agent, a cokehead agent. You know, there was all these people. And then all of their stories intertwined. Um, and I did that for a while. And oh, uh, I never saw this before me. Obviously, it was a it was a it was a lovely show. Um, I've got the link here. We're putting it right up. Lemley.com/slash/film. Oh, and I'm sure if you just go to Lemley/slash.com, you'll find it. But there's the specific link. I we will like also put Lemley. it in the link. What I feel like with Lemley. There's too many vowels in the first part and not enough in the second. Exactly. It's like Steve Kometko. There's too much going on. Um, uh, let's see. I had, I had another question because when I was on the plane, I was sitting there typing things to myself. All right. What were your fans called? Parasites. <laughs> Isn't that an awful thing? It's just awful. <laughs> it's awful. Oh, LA Magazine. This is when I, before Star Search, before everything. This is when I was gathering a following in this tiny little theater called Theater Theater on Santa Monica Boulevard, 50 seats. And mm -hmm. I played there for six months. Oh, and wow. shows at night, at late at night at 11 o'clock. And for, you know, it was a different time. People went out at night. And um, there was a whole thing in LA, Los Angeles Magazine that was mm -hmm. about this bizarre sort of, you know, following. And it was called, it called them Harrisites. And I thought that sounded so nasty. <laughs> um, uh, okay, did you ever hear from Jennifer Holliday after you sang I Am Changing? <laughs> I did. I didn't hear from her. I ran into her at a restaurant called Larry Parker's, which was in Beverly Hills. Of course. Where I had a, I had a, I had a, a sandwich named after me there. <laughs> And um, she, now I've known her for, I mean, we've done many things since then, but at first that was the first thing. And she mm -hmm. was not happy. She just, went, she just went, you sang my song. <laughs> um, and I was like, <laughs> and then, you know, we've done a number of shows and benefits and appearances together and she's fabulous. But in the oh, beginning, yeah. There was a lot of two going on, a lot. Yeah. Now, understandable, predict, protective of her song. I get it. Um, and I'm going to show a video, and I'm going to add. Now, just when you see this video, realize you're not going to see anything that's going to trouble you. I hope not. Because <laughs> our relationship is far too important for me okay. to risk. But okay. <laughs> I want to ask your reaction when you saw this on stage. So, Billy. Okay, that was for those who can't tell from the song. That was hair in a brilliant production. That's me singing. Let me just tell you a little bit about this song. <laughs> in hair in any production of hair, like the last ten seconds of the song, people are naked. It's low lit. There's a lot of fog. 
Not in this production. In this no production, fun. I started alone. I'm totally naked for like two or three minutes before the rest of them come on. In bright yeah. light, it was insane. And then the cast comes on. Well, Weber had Fluff. big time. Well, you can tell because it's not a natural hang. No, that's standing up. Yeah, that is that is not a natural hang. But he had like three minutes while I'm out there singing that, you know, to get himself prepared. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Weber is the most fun. We've done we did that, and we also did the producers on Broadway together. I adore him. I adore him. But the thing is, if you are going to see him, he needs like two or three minutes in preparation <laughs> so he can fluff. So when you're singing and you kind of look over and go, what the hell is happening over there? Nothing. There was a person named Eric something who was a, a, was like he had to kick it away to be able to walk down the stage. <laughs> he was so huge. And he also oh, I will have to review the tape and find that. He had a career in Naked Boys singing after that for some time. Oh, um, the bald guy. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, we're talking about a gift from God. And you and Danny were both in that together, both naked. Danny and I were in that show. And then we came out here shortly after. Liv moved here from New York. All right. That's all. I just figured, you know, note that I didn't show any footage of you. Well, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Because I love you. <laughs> I love you. And because you know you have that. That you have that, of course you do. That you even have that. T- was that, wait a minute, was that the film version or like somebody's secret camera? Somebody's secret camera. Stop it. Okay, so here's what happened. I was at the undressed rehearsal. This is not from this undressed rehearsal. And I think Ken Werther was the publicist for it, if I'm not mistaken. He'll tell me. And um, he I said... See. Just, he's like, I gave you a good seat. And I'm like, whatever. And he's like, oh no, you'll thank me later. Cause I was like mid orchestra on like the center aisle. And during the, it's the end of the first act. I'm like, what in the name of holy fuck is happening? Wait, this was a rehearsal attack or something? (laughs) Not that footage, but this is me the first time I saw it. And I went, wow. So I thought to myself, this is the early days of the internet where you say, you know, Stephen Weber's penis could really attract some business. <laughs> but how do you do it? And I had constructed, oh, this is so horrible to admit. I constructed something that looked like binoculars, like the size of the Hubble telescope. Yeah. With a camcorder shoved in it. And I was in the last row of the balcony. And I'm sure people like, wow, he really wants to see this. And I'm there. And I said, I wonder if I got anything or not. I got something. But as you and I know, because the official DVD is no visuals for that scene. They black it out. However, I do have the official DVD. Oh, you got it. So to speak. Um, darling, I have another interview in about 15 minutes. That's it. And this is an hour and a half. Nobody's going to watch this whole thing. They'll be bored with us. They love us. Are you kidding? They'll love us. I'm going to remind people that they should go to put it up there again. Lemley.com slash film. If you just go to Lemley.com, it's on their homepage. You'll find it. And thank you. 
Thank you for loving the show and for loving this film. And I love that also you were talking about Darlene Love with the publicist. And like you call me and you say, let's do this. And I'm like, yes, of course, but I have to go through them and whatever. And then there was a mix up and nobody responding. And so I'm just texting you like, it's done. Don't worry about it. That is always the problem when you know people personally, because if it's not on everybody's calendar, something could happen. So, um, and you had said, look, it's fine. We just need them to know that it's on the calendar. I'm going to remind people, there it is. Go see it. It looks beautiful. You have never sounded better. Um, Is there going to be a CD of the movie? No. No. All right. So if you want to hear it, just get the movie. Are you releasing it? There is a a recording of Broken Wing, which is like the 11 o'clock number um, that we're going to be releasing. Oh, good. Good. You should. It's really, it's gorgeous. Check it out for the holidays. Watch it with your friends and family. Sam, you've been talking to me about this since you filmed it. Like, you're going to love it. It's so gorgeous. It really, it it, you did not um, missell it. It is all that and more. Thank you, Billy. I adore you. Happy holidays. holidays. My love to Danny and Connor and the whole family. Oh, do you still, uh, uh, Cooper, do you still have the dog? We have, you mean the puppy? Yeah, the puppy. We have, we have the dog, Tango, but then we got a new puppy that for Cooper's birthday during COVID, a little pug who is probably the dumbest animal I've ever known. He's an idiot. And, but so freaking funny and cute. And all, like I said, if you're funny, you get a lot of leeway. All right. All right. Look. At least you've survived COVID. And let, stay safe, please. Okay, you too, please. And all you guys watching, don't be stupid. Put on a freaking mask. Mwah. Exactly. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, honey. Bye, honey. It was fabulous Sam Harris. Oh, my God, I adore him. Don't forget, on Thursday, we have got Carl Schmidt, quesadilla. We're going to have holiday cookies. We're going to talk about fighting the stigma of being HIV positive and perhaps find out if Carl is in the market for a boyfriend. Anyway, thank you for watching Billy Masters Live. Of course, I was Billy Masters, as I always am Billy Masters, uh, from the sumptuous filth-to-go beach house. Oh, my God, I've got to clean. Anyway, thank you for watching. We will see you on Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. And just remember, if we're here, we're live. Bye, guys. 